And I will never forget a conversation I had in our kitchen of the rental home as we're not able to pay the rent, (laughs) just struggling to get by. And I said, listen, I'm not leaving, but I'm not going down there with you, referring to this pit that he had kind of sunken into. And I said, I need to keep these kids in the light and keep going. So I just want you to know that. And I got really angry with God. And I got to the point where, you know what? There is no God. I accepted the fact that, hey, do anything you want to me, but leave my kids and and my wife, you know, don't have them go through this. It was really tough. It was a really, 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 you know, dark time for me. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couples Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences working with thousands of couples for nearly 20 years. You know, every day you get to hear intimate details about a couple of celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where couples come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Yvonne and Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. This is going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. we're going to have a lot of fun <laughs> for sure. It's a beautiful basement. <laughs> Thank you. The pub, I should say. The yeah. pub, yes. <laughs> a pint. A pint. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to your story, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? How long have you been together? And what do you do for a living? God, you can go first, Yvonne. Alrighty. Well, I'm Yvonne Heller. I just turned 50 years old. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I'm a mom of three teens, 13, 14, and 15. Good luck with that. (laughs) You got it. All mine. (laughs) I have been with Henry since, oh my gosh, we should have calculated this before we got here. 20 years? 21. 21. (laughs) 22. 22 years. Let's stick with that story. We've been married for 17 years. I am an entrepreneur. Recent transition from corporate America after surviving cancer five years ago. I had a major shift in my mindset and my priorities and was blessed with an opportunity to become an entrepreneur in the last year. Awesome. Wonderful. Wow. Well, my name's Henry Heller. I am uh, 55 years old. Gene. Yeah. Yeah. She was a little shocked there. Yeah, I'm 55. Yeah, so I'm 55 years old. I've been, we've been married, happily married for 17 years. Our anniversary is actually November 22nd. 
Nice. Yeah, which is the day Kennedy was shot. Wow. You know, so everybody reminds me about that. But, you know, it's a good way to remember our wedding anniversary also. It's two days after Jean's birthday. Is it? Yeah. Ooh, wow. Magical time of so, year. It is. Yeah. So we got married probably the same time you were born. Huh? It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Nice. I'm uh, first generation. My parents are from South America, Lima, Peru. Mm. So we've got a lot of uh, Spanish in us, Peruvian in us, which is extremely great. I'm very proud of that. As Yvonne mentioned, we've got three kids. I'm a father, a very, I love being a father. I love being a husband. My background is in technical sales. I've been in water technologies pretty much since like 1992. So it's been a pretty long time. I love sports, love competing in sports. But uh, more importantly, I think I, I love being a dad, you know, dealing with the kids, being with the kids, being a family guy. Awesome. Yeah. Can you guys tell us the story of how you met? You want to tell the story? You can tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> you can drop one word, and that is ecstasy. How about that? And we're not talking about a drug. Oh, okay. Um, that's the name. <laughs> that is the name of the cruise ship that we met on oh, back okay. in 1996. Seven. Uh, okay. Well, that's to be debated. I was on a cruise with a couple of girlfriends, and Henry was on the cruise by himself. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes you wonder. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> we we met there, but that's not when we, you know, connected. Yeah. Um, actually, a friend of mine connected with Henry on the cruise and him and I had seen each other over the year that they were dating. And I made a trip to Florida and coincidentally, he lived near my sister and I reconnected with him there. It was one of those very odd sort of love it, not really first sight moments where I thought, wow, this guy, I don't know. And and really, literally, the rest is history. We connected then in 1998, I guess, seven. <laughs> Did you have that same feeling? The same feeling, like the second time I saw her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the second time I saw her, it was great. So some of the other girls in the party came down to Florida, you know, after the cruise. They came down to Florida. I lived down there. And uh, they called me up. We got together. We went out and things and just had some fun. So when Yvonne, uh, I was on a business trip to Puerto Rico, I get a voicemail basically saying that she's going to be, you know, uh, she's in Florida and all this, da da da, da And we kind of like arranged to, to meet somewhere. So I got there. I was waiting for them. And she showed up with an entourage of her sister and friends. It's pretty good. But honestly, you know, she's an attractive woman. But I was just kind of like being there. But after speaking with her, dealing with her and sharing with her, and there's a little bit more details to the story. But <laughs> but we did start a long distance relationship at that time. I was living in Chicago. So we did that. My parents were ill. So uh, it took me a little longer to transition to Florida than I had planned. So we did a long distance thing for about a year and a half before I ultimately moved to Florida, where we got married and started our family. So the great thing is the long distance relationship, I traveled a lot for work. So I had a lot of airline miles. So I was able to get her tickets to come on down. So we didn't go pretty much more than two weeks anytime during the year that we didn't see each other. Plus with my travel, instead of me coming back to Florida, I'd fly into, into Chicago and then see her on the weekends and things. So we were always kind of in contact. And I think that helped blossom the relationship a little bit more. Plus, I'm a very romantic Latin man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you 100% Peruvian? Am I 100% sure? 
<laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So both of my okay. parents are from Peru. Okay, great. Both of them are. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So what was it about the other person you fell in love with? The other person besides Yvonne? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> what was it about Yvonne that I fell in love with? Correct. There's a, just a bunch of things that I really liked about her. Number one, her legs. I really loved her <laughs> legs. Her legs were, you know what? She just seemed like, or she was, she is a very spontaneous girl, you know, in the sense of she would kind of like set her mind to do something and she'd do it. And just so, a lot of different qualities, kind of like hard to put them in words. I just love the fact that she kind of like did things to fruition. You know, she ended up completing the tasks and she I thought that was, through. yeah, absolutely yeah. followed through and she was appreciative, mm. appreciative of the things that I would do. I remember when she'd fly down uh, to Florida, I lived in a condo on the beach in Boca Raton, Florida. And I remember I would go and I'd, I'd buy these steaks and I'd make the steaks and salad and potatoes. And then also I'd uh, kind of like make some, um, what were those things called where I put them in the dough and then the. The, uh, the stuff in the calzone. Uh, calzones. Yeah, so, right. you know what? It was just doing these things and just, you know, for her and, and just her reaction and just how appreciative she was of that. That's what was just incredible. So that was something that was just driving me, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah. then plus one, every time we'd uh, get together, fly into Chicago or something like that, it was just, just that meeting. It was, it was fantastic. It was very uh, euphoric. Awesome. Well, I have to admit, Henry was the first person I felt that initial chemistry with. I never looked at someone and judged them by the way they look or had that feeling, mm -hmm. except when I met Henry. But what I loved and I still love about Henry is his love for people. Um, my parents were very loving, kind, simple people. And I really learned to appreciate just loving others. And Henry has a true love for people. He has a great sense of humor. Well, initially, that was, you know, really, really fun and attractive. Not that it's not fun um, initially <laughs> anymore, but that was definitely something that attracted me. I'm sticking with the question here. Okay. So, yes, his humor and love for people, I think. And, you know, and he was he's an attractive man. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> for all you listeners out there, I, I know you're being deprived of being able to see Henry here. <laughs> But believe her, she's telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so after a year, you guys finally live in the same state. And how long until you get engaged? Ooh. <laughs> Don't tell the, yeah, tell the short version of that story, Henry. Uh, the short version is, uh, you know what? I am commitment phobic. Mm. Or I was commitment phobic. So for me, getting married just was very, very, very hard. And in fact, uh, the day that uh, I was actually getting married, you know, that morning, I was just scared, very, very, very scared. The night before my bachelor party it was me and my brothers, my two older brothers. And we just kind of like hung out in my hotel room, which was like the coolest thing. And then I'm an early riser. So I woke up, went to go have breakfast at this place. What's that place on the beach that has a really good breakfast in Lake Worth? John G's. John G's. So they have this incredible breakfast. So I go out there, have breakfast. I'm by myself. And then I just hang out on the beach. And I'm just kind of like, you know, thinking to, you know, what, what's going on? I'm kind of like sweaty palms, just really. And then I'm thinking, okay, you know, I've got Yvonne and then I've got all of the family. So that even felt like even more pressure. It was really, really tough. 
And I remember back then we had like pagers and and beepers, uh, beepers oh, yeah. and um, and the cell phones and things and payphones. Payphones, pay yeah. Calling <laughs> cards. <laughs> right. well, luckily, I was working for a company where I had a, a cell phone, and, and cell phones were kind of like coming out a little bit bigger. But anyways, but I remember all of the calls. Like, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? And I wasn't answering any of them, and I was just really scared. Do you know why? Why you had a fear of commitment? You know, it's just kind of like you know. It's forever. That's how I look at marriage. <laughs> you say it so ominously. I know, yeah. right? No. Scary. But that's just it. It's that the way I look at it is like, okay, fine, commitment. I am committing myself, you know, to you for the rest of my life through thick and thin, through health and through sickness, you know, through, you know, richer and poorer. And, you know, when you talk about relationships, I think in all honesty, you have to have that love. And that love has to be very, very, very strong because no matter what, as you're going through your marriage or your relationship, you are going to get attacked in so many different ways that if you don't have that base, you're just going to break. You're you're just going to break. Right. All those life challenges just erode the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, that's that's what it was. So that was the big thing for me, you know, was the commitment phobic. So, but five years, it took five years. And I remember, and you're right, you told me to, <laughs> take the, to give them the short version. And this is the Reader's Digest version, but I remember she gave me an ultimatum. It was February. Oh, I was going to say, talk about the ultimatum. Right. Yeah. Ultimatum, February 28th. That's it. That was the day that if she's not, if we're not engaged, she's leaving. And I got a ring and I was just holding onto the ring. And I was trying to figure, okay, how am I going to do it? How do I want to do it? And all of these things. And I'm just kind of like fighting with myself. And then finally, you know, the day starts coming closer and closer and closer. It was February 28th. And we went out to dinner. And I figured I'd kind of like, you know, give it to our dinner and things. But we went to the seafood restaurant in Wellington, Florida. And I remember we were sitting there. And right across from us was a family with a whole bunch of little kids. And the little kids were screaming and shouting and things like that. And she definitely was, not romantic. <laughs> and she was irate. She was not in a happy mood because so it's I, February twenty eighth. Because it's right? the last day. Well, it's February twenty eighth, and I have to leave yeah. to yeah. honor February my own 28th. commitment. Yeah, but the thing is also, and what's not kind of like helping is this group of little kids over there crying and things and stuff like that. So obviously, that's not the place. So we end up leaving the restaurant, going back home. We turn on the TV, sit down on the couch, and I'm thinking, okay, fine, I'm just going to kind of, you know, be somewhat romantic and give it to her here and things like that. And then what comes up on the TV is one of these TV shows. What was it? Temptation Island. Oh, jeez. <laughs> come oh. on. What's going on? This is you know? perfect. So here, yeah, this just is great. Slap that ring on her finger. <laughs> so she, the way she's kind of like looking at that and like, oh, that's so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, what the heck? You know, boy, I, I can't even win at losing here. So finally, the TV's done. All of the stuff is done. It's like about 10 o'clock at night. I mean, we're coming to deadline. And, you know, I've got the ring in my pocket. And she's kind of like going up. She's kind of like starting to cry. And as she's kind of like going up the stairs, I'm like, you know what? And I was kind of like talking to her, but she wasn't really listening. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I want to be with you. And I have the ring here like this. And I'm, you know, it's in my hand and she's like looking up 
her face is kind of like, you know, in that 45 degree angle looking up because she doesn't want the tears to kind of like come falling down her face and things. So she's not able to see my ring, you know, <laughs> and she's crying and she's upset and things. And it's like, babe, look, look here. I want to be with you. So we got engaged that day. Was it 1159? It was pretty close to the wire. I mean, I just had made it clear that I wasn't going to be one of those girls that was just going to hang around forever. Like it was important to me to have a commitment. And I figured if we hadn't figured it out by then, I just had to pick a date and draw a line in the sand. Why was it that date, though? I honestly am not sure why it was that date. I really have no idea what the significance was. It turned out to be Ash Wednesday. That's why we were at a seafood restaurant with everybody else in Palm Beach County. Wow. How long of a window did you give him? So if February 28th is the date, how long before that did you say that? 48 hours. No, that's not true. I'm not I, I sure. Honestly, it was kind of a blur. You know, my, my parents were not doing well. So I was pretty stressed out. So I think I just wanted to have that in place too. So months? A months. Year? Yeah. It was within within a year. Okay. So we were we were dating for a long period of time. So it's like, you know, marriage would come up and it's like, you know, okay, just the hints would be coming my way and stuff. And but in all honesty, I can't remember what the what the time frame was, but the time frame was there. The deadline was there. And that's one thing that kind of like, you know, hovered over. What happened to your fear of commitment? I ended up facing it, you know, head on. And do you look back and go, what was I even thinking? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. I mean, to be totally blunt and, and transparent, I mean, there are some times where, you know, you kind of like realize. And that's why when I said, hey, if you don't have that foundation, you know, yeah. there's a snowball's chance in, in, in heck that you're going to survive. Because every single relationship is going to go through some major blows and if you don't have that foundation, it's not going to, and you know, where we live, it's an affluent neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of affluent neighborhoods, but it's incredible. Once you start speaking to these people, speaking to neighbors and friends and things of that nature, I mean, you know, everything looks perfect from the outside, right. but you talk to them and yep. it's like kind of like this house of cards. Mm -hmm. So it's more common and prevalent than, than people realize or admit. Oh, we see it all the time. Yep. <laughs> really? Sure. So you talk about these roadblocks that relationships get into. What was your guys' first roadblock? Well, I think the the biggest blow was when my dad passed away unexpectedly six months after our wedding. Oh. He was ill, but we weren't expecting him to pass anytime soon. We weren't well prepared. I just found out I was pregnant. I felt compelled to let them know right away, my parents. So I'm grateful I did that. We had a 50th anniversary celebration for them, flew in a friend. And then the day after my birthday, he passed away at home with my mom there. So that was tough. And she had really severe dementia. Oh, they were living in a home together. Oh, wow. And, you know, we're not sure if she contributed by unplugging his oxygen or what happened, but it happened. And so we took her into our home. Oh, wow. Because we really had no options and I was newly pregnant. So that right there is a lot. And she was up all night screaming out, wetting the bed. I mean, we're talking about really hard stuff. Yeah. And she was in danger for herself, you know, slipping and falling. Mm -hmm. And it was a very stressful week. And uh, we ultimately had to put her in a nursing home within about seven or 10 days as soon as we could find a facility. So that was a very stressful, stressful time period. And then he... I uh, had previously scheduled a graduation 
celebration for a family member and he had to leave town, like literally as soon as the funeral was over. And that was probably one of the worst times of my life at that point. And I felt very alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have a very strained relationship with his family or I have a very strained relationship I had at that point. So that just added to the resentment, the hurt in me that I was alone with a few crazy family members that had come into town and he was with his family. So it put a lot of pressure very early on in the marriage. Wow. Wow. And this is uh, what year of your marriage? This is uh, six months. Six months in. Six months Six months in. 2003? Wow. Yeah. 2003. Yeah. So it was a big blow. And talk about not really having your ducks in a row. Right. I don't think we were prepared for any of this. You know, the premarital thing, mm-hmm. it was like a little convention you go to for a day in a lunchroom. Yeah. Right. right. Whoa. <laughs> talk about nothing ridiculous. Yeah. Looking back at that, I would have, I would prepare people completely differently. Absolutely. Being transparent, you know, open and honest. I didn't contribute either. In the sense of, you know what, I had uh, some exchanged some inappropriate emails with a girlfriend that I used to have in high school. So um, at, at that time, you're talking about? Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. In the months leading up to that. Yeah. yeah. Months leading up to that. Did we that never, start before the wedding? No. No, no, no. After. It didn't. Yeah. It was uh, after the wedding. I mean, I, I didn't see her. She was somewhere else. So, you know, from a physical perspective, we weren't there. But she found the emails and I know that that was very, it would be catastrophic for anybody, yeah. especially going through what she was going through, experiencing what she was experiencing. So that was very, very, very tough. How did you guys come back from that? Well, I made the discovery while he was out of town. Oh. Yikes. Yeah. So with, I with literally. your mom in the house. With my mom in the nursing home. Oh, she's in the nursing home. I have two crazy family members staying with me, literally, Mm -hmm. just had come to visit. I reached out to him and said, get your beep back here. I mean, I I phoned kind of a distant friend. I didn't know who to talk to in this situation. I was like, if you don't get back here, I mean, your stuff is going to be on the doorstep. I'm pregnant. I'm prepared to do this alone. I'm, I'm beside myself. And he didn't come home until his scheduled flight several days later. So it was really rough. Naturally, I demanded therapy. I demanded all these things, apologies. I wanted him to suffer. That didn't really do much. (laughs) And uh, we did try some therapy. My perspective at the time was that he didn't like the therapist. So I'm sitting there pregnant with a therapist and that didn't last very long. Yeah. So we just kind of brushed it under the rug is my take on how we ultimately oh, handled it. Just button it up and forget just about move it. Move on. Life was pretty stressful. Wow. Well, and you guys mentioned something about how um, you experienced that things weren't happening. One therapist with a couple and things. And that's exactly what kind of like happened with us, mm-hmm. because one therapist actually told us, you know, what would side with me. Yeah. And then she wouldn't want to go to that therapist anymore or kind of like, you know, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So he'd go to another therapist. Yeah, there were many therapists. Yeah. You know, that therapist (laughs) was siding with her and telling me that I'm wrong and things. So it was really hard to find somebody who was somewhat credible, Mm -hmm. number one. And number two, who was really kind of looking at it from uh, how are you going to help the marriage? Because, you know, we're godly people. We're believers. 
And, you know, when you kind of like marry, you become one. So that's what we were looking for. Somebody who's going to be able to help us as a whole, as our marriage, right. not to side with one party and, uh, you know, and kind right. of like condone the other. I, unfortunately, this is a very common thing in marriage counseling and marriage counseling field. And most people don't know that marriage counseling has the worst success rate across the board of all counseling. Wow. It's because of that phenomenon that you're talking about, that there's one therapist in the room. And right off the bat, the gender is imbalanced right? If it's a female therapist or if it's a male therapist, there's a gender bias that's occurring. And it puts the position, it puts the therapist in the position of having to be a referee, right? Mm. I have to support you. Now I have to support you. And one person is always walking out of the room at the end of the session feeling slighted. So when Jean and I work with couples, we balance that gender bias. I work with the husbands, she works with the wives. And in that way, both people are equally respected. And then we are able to actually work with the relationship, the couple. We call it couple to couple. You know, the funny part about that is we actually fight out other couples' fights. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of wondering. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and this is true in all relationships. Everyone has their own perception. And you would swear people don't even live in the same house, right? Right. But one thing we know, because we've been doing this a long time, is every relationship is a 50-50. You both have equally contributed to whatever was going on at that time. And no one's more right. And so you're either going to have two winners in this or two losers. Hmm. There's not a winner or loser. So that refereeing thing doesn't work. Well, and I think that's why when I spoke to Eugene, that mm -hmm. I was I was just enamored by the mm -hmm. idea. I thought, this is brilliant. Yeah. This is what everybody's missing. And it's an ingenious approach that I've never seen in all these years. So... In March, we're going to be doing our first weekend and it's going to teach those skills that you should have learned or, you know, I think it's not taught because people didn't know how to teach it. Sure. You know, and by the time you discover it and package it, you know, we're, we're really fortunate that we focused on couples for 20 years of, I mean, we've seen <laughs> a lot. So mm -hmm. it's, it's cool. It's cool that sure. you guys had that perspective. Unfortunately, the experience you had is pretty common. We're mm -hmm. going to therapists. So, you guys just sort of put your head down, drive on, start your family. Then what happens? Well, the family happened really fast. I had three kids in two and a half years. Wow. And there was a loss wow. in there too somewhere. So, wow. Just after, no, I'm sorry. Just before my third child was born, my mother passed away. <laughs> so that's a lot of stress. We got into real estate I say with a smile until we fast forward to 2008 right. when yeah. we were in real estate and we lost everything. Wow. Everything. Everything. The investment properties, the house we lived in, the business, of course, everything. How much time did it start to unravel? Well, we got into real. Well, the thing is that so we got in before, you know, this everything, everybody else got in. Mm -hmm. So in 2000, 1999, uh, 2000, I was doing a lot of traveling for work and she moved down from Chicago. We didn't have any kids at the time and she was just not acclimating well to Florida. She wasn't able to, you know, connect with people, meet people. So it was kind of like one of those things where, you know, I had this epiphany, either I'm going to stay in my current line of work where I travel, the group of people that I work with, either single, divorced, or separated. So I didn't want to be a statistic like that. 
And for me before, it was all about work. I mean, I'd always put God, family, work, but the reality was God wasn't on my calendar at all. It was work than family. So at that point in time, kind of like decided, hey, look, you know what? I'm going to take a step away from this, get into something else. And she was in real estate. So I kind of like jumped into that. I'm fluent in Spanish. So being down in South Florida, it was beneficial. And, you know, we started doing very well. So we did well. Everybody tells you reinvest in real estate, the best investment you can make down in Florida. It seemed logical. So that's what we did. Both of us were in real estate. We started doing really well, reinvested the money, got uh, multiple investment properties. And then in 2004, we had our son. And then that year, we got hit by a couple of hurricanes. First one, it, it was Hurricane Jean and Francis. I can't remember which one was which, but one of them parked itself like about 30 miles off the coast of West Palm Beach, Florida. And that battered us. All your properties. And everything. Mm. Battered the properties, battered everything. Nobody was prepared. They didn't, a lot of people, a lot of the stores didn't have emergency generators or anything. Gas was gone. I mean, just total, total mayhem chaos. <laughs> the insurance companies were not prepared either to pay claims. Yeah. So the economy became instantly devastated. So it was about a six year period from our marriage to the total crash in Florida, which then brought us up here. Everyone wow. was lost. Wow. Yeah. Talk about a storm of life here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. And in that time, the babies are born. The babies are born. Right. Parents My mother passed. and father passed away. Mm -hmm. Then shortly after the crash, right before we moved up to Chicago, his father suddenly passed away. And he had had a very challenging relationship there. The father had been estranged from the family for a few years. So. It was did, really stressful. Did going through those things help you forge together or did it turn you against each other? Personally, I think we were both in survival mode because we had three small children. I mean, literally, I had three in diapers. So I had to take care of those kids. When we lost the real estate business, he scrambled back into his old sales field, but we had no economic base where we were living. So he took a job on the opposite coast. So he was gone Monday through Friday. I mean, like Whoa. the hits just keep on coming yeah. here. Okay. So that was 2008. He moved away Monday through Friday and would come home Friday nights at about eight o'clock. And that's where things got really ugly because I was super stressed out. Yeah. You're doing it on your own. Um, the properties were getting foreclosed on. I was receiving the, the summons. They had automatic payments on them. So his paycheck would go in. I'd look at the bank account. There'd be $60 for me and my children to live on for two weeks. So that was pretty stressful. He would come home on Friday nights and he can share this, but in a nutshell, he would be so excited to see the family and just want to spend time. And I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And it was nothing personal. It was right. me trying to keep me okay. So it created such tension that we did not work together. We were just trying to survive, literally, for the kids mainly. We didn't feel like we had an option out. We had no money at this point, except some savings, no job. Well, he got a job, but that didn't last either. The job that I got was in Tampa. Long story short, since there was the funds were scarce, I mean, I wanted to give everything I could to them, right? Keep them up and provide for them. Here I am, I'm working for a Fortune 500 company. 
going to customers with a shirt, tie. I've got a company car, company credit card, all of these different things. Or I didn't have a company credit card at the time. But anyways, so where am I going to stay? I don't have any money. I don't have a place up there or anything like that. So what I would do is I'd actually sleep in my office. Once everybody left, and this is in an industrial park. So wow. once everybody left, the cleaning crew and everything like that, I'd go back like at about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And the first week or two, I would sleep on my desk, which was very uncomfortable because it wasn't that long. It was just, but I had to do what I had to do. And then finally, I kind of like learned going to the conference room to have a nice long table. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what I would do is my dirty shirts, I would use that as the pillow. So Thursday nights were probably the best nights because I had the biggest pillow. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have a blanket in my car. And the thing is that people would say, so how would you kind of like clean up and wash and all of that stuff? I had a membership at a gym that cost like $35 a month. And I would walk in with my shirts, pants, all of that stuff, shower, and then walk out. I can only imagine what the receptionist would think because <laughs> right, yeah. right. they see me coming in. And my boss would always ask me, you know, because when I go on calls with him, he'd go, how come, why is all your dry cleaning in here all the time? You know, especially at the beginning of the week where yeah. all of my shirts are pants and right. all of those different things. And then I had a, um, a case of water in the trunk. I would go to the gas stations and get those like 50 cent hot dogs. That's what I was kind of like living off of. So there was a lot of things. So going back home, it was not only to see the kids. A bed. Right. A bed. All of that stuff. Seeing my Shower. wife, seeing my kids, food, mm -hmm. you know, real food. And being able to just kind of like relax. Because when you're sleeping on a conference call or on a conference, conference room, or, you know, you are hearing every single noise there, number one. And number two, you know what? I'd set the alarm for 4.30 in the morning because these people would be there at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I mean, on the dock. Yeah, if you slept in. Oh, yeah, my. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and I did that for a year. And no it, one found no out. No one caught you. Nobody caught me. Wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I didn't know for the first couple of months. Mm -hmm. And then I started to figure it out. What, what, where do you think he was staying? At a hotel. Okay. That the company was paying for. Yeah. yeah. And and then we did this crazy thing, which probably is less common than I might think, and just didn't talk about it. Oh. I'm sure you've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, no. no <laughs> Sometimes never people learn stuff when they come here and share. <laughs> they don't know about each other. <laughs> oh, we know all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. So um, we just, we didn't deal with it. I mean, we couldn't. We didn't have a solution. So we just mm -hmm. rolled with it. So it sounds like you guys were in survival mode from the beginning of when you got married. Just you got it. survive, survive, survive. And and then what? Like how long that went on for a year? Yeah, a almost sleep? a year. Okay. And uh, we came up here in the summer of 09. I have a cousin up here. I had nothing planned for the summer because we thought we might move to Tampa, but we couldn't find housing, interestingly. <laughs> and I said, my cousin will let us stay and hang out. She had three kids. So we just drove the minivan up and hung out for the summer. And then I got the call from Henry that the job in Tampa was going away. They oh. were closing offices. I was like, wow. He said, what do you think about moving up to Chicago? And I said, great. This is where I'm from. Our son's about to start kindergarten. This is good timing. We'll start fresh, right? Things will get better. 
And uh, we had a, a little bit of money in savings. So uh, we looked for a rental, settled ourselves in Naperville, and started our son in kindergarten. Interestingly, though, the job my husband had lined up for Chicago didn't happen. Oh, no. Acquisition. <laughs> wow. I mean, like I said, the hits just kept on coming. It, it, it's, I mean, we could laugh now, but it wasn't really funny at the time. And Henry can speak for his kind of mental state at that time. My perception was that he was pretty depressed. He had struggled so much with provision. Thankfully, my faith had gotten really strong. God kind of intersected my life in 2008 in Florida, and I was just on fire. I was plugging into a community here in Naperville, and that is where I got my strength. And I will never forget a conversation I had in our kitchen of the rental home. I was, we're not able to pay the rent, <laughs> just struggling to get by. And I said, listen, I'm not leaving, but I'm not going down there with you, referring to this pit that he had kind of sunken into. And I said, I need to keep these kids in the light and keep going. So I just want you to know that. And it was just sort of this odd moment of the statement that I made to let him know I wasn't leaving him, but I had to focus on doing something to move forward. So being therapists, <laughs> you understand? Uh-oh. So <laughs> what I said was, <laughs> what I heard was, you know, it's kind of, you know, a little, the verbiage I don't remember the the conversation itself. But, you know, again, as I mentioned before, I'm a believer. And one thing is that I really struggled with the fact that, hey, I'm a good person. I help. I try to do other do things for others, you know, contribute to society. And I got really angry with God. And I got to the point where, you know what, there is no God. And I just walked away from God. I accepted the fact that, hey, do anything you want to me, but leave my kids and, and my wife, you know, don't have them go through this. So it was really tough. It was a really, 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 you know, dark time for me. It's like the story of Job. Wow. Mm-hmm. You say that because so many people were telling me, have you read the book of Job? Mm-hmm. Read the book of Job, read the book of Job. And you know what? I'd say, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with God. I, I don't, don't tell me about, because if there was a God, he wouldn't put me through what I'm going through just very briefly. At the time, our kids were young. So 2009, 2010, what they were um, six, five and four. And for me, I'd love to go to the movies. It was a place to just kind of like get away. And every time we would go to the movies, the kids and I, we'd always get there late because late for the movie, because we get there Daddy, I want popcorn. I want that. Okay, girl. Daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. And then, you know, two girls and a boy have to wait for here. And I'm, uh, you know, just very cautious. I want to make sure I'm going to stand there and make sure that they go to bed, all of that stuff. So we always get to the movies late, always. Well, this particular time we went to the movies and we got there early. We did the popcorn. We went through the bathroom, everything like that. We walk in. Oh, my gosh. We are there early. And it was the movie Secretariat. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. You've seen that? Oh, the, yeah, the horse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the very first scene? You know, it's funny because I ask everybody, oh, I've seen it. Yeah, I know the horse movie. Nobody remembers this part. But at the very beginning, as I'm sitting there with my kids, the lights dim, the curtains open. And what do you have? You have this picture of just picture the racetrack, Right. And picture that the camera is right in the middle and it's going towards one of the ends. 
one of the sides of the, one of the loops, right? One of the corners. And just picture the full, uh, the sun coming up and the sun peeking through all the leaves and the foliage and everything. And it's early in the morning and you hear this like, like the galloping strong running of a horse. And then there's a verse from the book of Job coming up no. on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my eyes just kind of like, I just started crying and I was like, oh my gosh, God, everybody is telling me, you're telling everybody to tell me, read the book of Job, read the book of Job, and I'm not listening. And here you have to come and meet me at the movies. <laughs> so you are, and at that point in time, I mean, my faith just blossomed. And to this day, I mean, you know what? I am so grateful, thankful. God is great. That's awesome. So at that point in time, then you guys reconnected and got back on the same page and the same path. It didn't feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, there was quite a, quite a chasm there, yeah. quite a big space left. Thankfully, though, we were moving forward in, I was pursuing some options for us to find housing because, of course, that was urgent. We were literally getting thrown out. We had court and papers and, and dates happening. So by the grace of God, we got picked up by a nonprofit and they provided us housing just in the nick of time. So I do remember that felt like we were kind of coming together because we got into the apartment and we had to completely relocate like the county north. And Henry said, wow, yes, finally we can breathe. And I thought, this is a program. Like we got to work. The work is just beginning. But he was ready for a rest. So there was a bit of a divide there. And there was such urgency on getting your financial situation repaired and getting you back into employment and education and equipping for sustainability that there wasn't a lot of focus on, yes, they offered counseling, but there wasn't the time or space for that. You're in too much trauma still. Yeah. So I felt like we had gone through all these different things and never healed from any of them. And I mean, there's still more after that. So I think our perceptions are different because here I was trying to kind of like rob Peter to pay Paul. I'm trying to take care of all the bills, take care of the cars, the, the food, all of these different things. I'm trying to juggle things all over the place. And you know what? I'm the one going to talk to the landlord, tell him that, hey, look, you know, I am so sorry. I just don't have all of the money right now to the point where, you know, I don't have the money right now, but I am going to be getting money, my next paycheck and kind of going in and doing all of that. So when I kind of like referenced, oh, wow, a break, it was kind of like a break from all of that and really to take a step back and reassess, look and to build from there. That's what my rest was mm -hmm. because all of the money that was coming in was going right out. As she mentioned before, my paycheck would come in. I wouldn't, I'd never see any of the money because it's a direct deposit, but everything would come in and it would be gone. She'd look at the checking account at $60. So, you know, again, that's what I was kind of like, oh, thank God, you know, for us to kind of like be able to take a step back. Mm -hmm. So how did you do that? How did you take a step back? Or did you? Well, luckily, it was a, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine who kind of like told me about Bridge Communities. And I don't know if you can say that or not. But sure. anyway, so Bridge Communities, it's a, just an incredible organization. And it really helps the home, uh, people, the white collar homeless. I mean, people, it, most of their 
clients, I'll say, are kind of like single moms who basically are abuse victims and they have to leave, I mean, immediately. But then there's other people kind of like situations where we're in, you know, we're trying to kind of like, you know, get back on top of things, but they basically help those people. And what they do, it's a two-year process and they kind of like analyze every cent that you're going through. So it's total transparency. They have access to our credit card. We don't have any credit cards, but they have access to our bank statements, every single thing. And then they try and get us, you know, equip us to go out, get jobs and things. And they charge you rent. You know, once you're able to kind of like be able to contribute some money, they charge you rent on a monthly basis. But all of that money is going to be coming back to you at the end of the program. It's a fantastic program that really helps a lot of people out. So when we were there, I mean, it was kind of like, okay, you know, trying to get things together. It was just that moment where, let me take a step back. You're scuba divers. Yep. So for all of those listeners who are scuba divers, they may be able to uh, relate. But just imagine that you're like about 10 feet from the surface of the water, right? And you do not have, you need to catch that breath but you're 10 feet from it. You can't, you're kind of like struggling. You're just moving all around and you, you're going to fight for that breath, right? Well, when we got accepted into bridge communities, it was kind of like breaking the surface for me. That's the analogy that Mm -hmm. I'll give where I was able to kind of like take that big breath. And now I'm kind of like, get back to things, get back to, I didn't have things coming at me from all angles anymore. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I mean, what a, what an experience oh. and what an awesome organization. Absolutely. Yeah. And how long were you guys in that program? It's a two-year program. Okay. Yeah. So they try to prepare you to launch you out to get sustainable housing and back on track. And you know, that was an interesting experience as well because he had a job, but it wasn't really producing the income that we needed to be on our feet on our own. And uh, I was preparing to go back to school finally in my 40s, finished my degree so that I could get a better job and uh, all signed up. And they looked at me one Tuesday night across the table and said, you know what? We think you need to get the job. His thing isn't working out. You need Mm -hmm. to get the job. Forget school. You need to get to work. And I was like, dang. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, really? I was angry. Mm -hmm. And I was resentful that I was going to have to give up my dreams, my goals that I like to finish and give up my role as a mom, full-time mom, even though I was working part-time and take care of business and get us back on our feet. So I cried for 24 hours and then I said, screw it. I'm going to show these people how it's done and what a work ethic looks like. And I'm going to do this like a boss. And I think God really blessed my effort though. (laughs) Because we budgeted for a certain amount and this job was 10 times what I had set a target at. Wow. With what it, what it gave, how it provided, educate, everything was taken care of. Health insurance, day one, 100% paid, like crazy benefits. So it was a true blessing. That was six months prior to getting out of the program. So we were launched out July of 2013 based on my income alone. But we had a plan. We did get together then. Um, I think that's where we started to make some progress as a couple. And we made a plan to transition our kids over the summer where he would stay home because it was more costly to put them in childcare. (laughs) And then as soon as they hit school, he would make a job of finding a job. And he did exactly that. 
So by September of 2013, we were back. We were back in Naperville. Our kids were in good schools again. We both had two amazing full-time jobs and we were back July or well, September of 2013. And where was your relationship at at this time? I guess the best word I would use is autopilot, <laughs> like autopilot. We were not actively working it. Again, we were still in survival mode. Right, right. During that program, we had connected with a church who had a marriage program. We tried. There were pastors and their wives counseling us. That didn't really produce a ton of fruit. We did it. We kind of did the work, but it really did not do much. We didn't, you know, sustain any healthy behaviors as a result of that work. Was that work more solution focused rather than learning how to really heal? Yeah, I guess it was just, it required participation by both parties. And it almost created a little bit more of an edge when, you know, you feel like you're doing more of the work, they're just showing up. So there wasn't space to deal with that. And it was a group setting. Mm -hmm. We had been through such trauma. I don't think a group setting at that point was even healthy. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that. It wasn't addressing your individual needs and individual traumas, right? Right. So it was more like difficult because it was time (laughs) that we didn't really have. And we thought it was a good thing to do. But when it doesn't produce results, you're like, man, did I just waste all that time? But there were great relationships that came out of it and good things, Mm -hmm. but it didn't serve its purpose. You'd agree with with what she's saying? Yeah, it's amazing because here I'm sitting at a podcast and (laughs) speaking about our relationship and things. And it's kind of like, okay, Yvonne mentioned numerous times where we just kind of like swept it under the rug. And it's kind of like where we, here's where you take a step back or two and look and you kind of like see and there aren't, you know, that connection is really not there. I mean, now that I even think about it, I remember when we first got married or even before we got married, one thing is that uh, like for me, I, I always wanted to adopt a child and I wanted to adopt our first child. That way, when that child finds out that they were adopted, that they'll come up to and say, you know, if they feel bad, like, you know, I'm adopted and, and they're, you know, your natural kids and things like that. But we'd be able to go back to that child and say, are you kidding me? You were my, you were our first. You were our first. Are you chosen? Yeah, absolutely. So, but, you know, Yvonne was adopted. And one thing that she really wanted was to have her own kids. That's what she wanted. But now, you know, there's just a whole bunch of different things. So we're kind of like you have that epiphany. So financially, you guys are back on track. You have your home. Life's stable in that way. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? Well, about a year after being back, I received a cancer diagnosis. And yeah, I've been very public about our journey through homelessness on Facebook. And that really blessed us, by the way. People, I mean, just came out in droves to help us. So we were like these overcomers, you know, these amazing super rock star people that came back. And uh, when I got hit with the cancer thing, everyone was like, wow, how do bad things happen to good people? And why do bad things happen to good people? And our faith was super strong at that point. So I was like, look, I got this. And I did. 
I sailed through it. I did chemo. I did radiation. I was bald, (laughs) but I had to go back to work because of our financial situation. I was back to work with a scarf on my head within four months. Wow. And cancer free. So, I mean, what a blessing. What type of cancer? Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So real hardcore stuff. (laughs) So again, people saw us, saw me at that point as the super woman. I mean, survivor, strong, a lot of celebration, but that doesn't really did you feel anything? I did like in the moment a little bit, but I think I lived through it all. So I was like, you guys, this wasn't me. I just followed the directions. Like I didn't do anything here. Do do you feel that the things you went through participated or contributed to the cancer? Looking back, 100%. It's lymphoma. I mean, I, I can't help knowing that we all have those cells in our body, that that stress did not contribute to those cells going to the wrong side of the fence. Are you familiar with Louise Hay's works? (laughs) <laughs> Louise Hay, right? Louise Hay. Yeah, the affirmations. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I had a neighbor that shared that with me, but I haven't really pursued anything there. She has this book that that talks about the illness and the psychological and spiritual underlying thing. And cancer is connected to longstanding hurt and resentment. Mm. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. right? Right. If I could just add one thing, and that is, and again, when they did the biopsy, on uh, the lump that they pulled from her neck, it came back as, you know, cancer cells and or malignant, right? So when we first met with her, what was uh, the oncologist? oncologist. Yeah. <laughs> the oncolo- once we, when we first met with them, his first diagnosis, I don't even remember what the name of the uh, cancer was, but he says that it was terminal. Wow. Oh, wow. So he goes, and then he goes, but you know what? I've got some patients who've lived like for about like seven years. We just have to monitor it and kind of like react accordingly. And I don't know if that was supposed to be kind of like something positive or not. <laughs> some reassurance <laughs> yeah, or something. Right. <laughs> this is like a Thursday or a Friday. And again, I remember, no, it was a Friday because I remember going home that night. We were in the kitchen and we just kind of like hugged each other and we were crying. I mean, I had three young kids, two of them girls. I'm just kind of like thinking, you know, the worst, what he just kind of like shared with me and things. I remember we just kind of like held each other and we were crying. You know, again, here's where, you know, God is good. On the following Tuesday, she's in a jewel parking lot going in to get something. And then she gets a phone call and it's the oncologist. And he says, oh, Yvonne, you know what? I just kind of like want to touch base with you. We kind of like revisited your case and uh, we determined that we're going to re-diagnose you with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is treatable and curable. So a lot of people will say, oh, wow, that's great. I see that as divine intervention Mm -hmm. for sure. Because how would they come up with one diagnosis and then kind of like just come up with a totally different diagnosis? That kind of reminds me of your near-death experience, you know, where you were crossing and got a chance to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I actually talk about it in one of our episodes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel that way? I mean, that's an interesting space of time, you know, to have all that contemplation and then, you know, it's funny because, again, difference in our perception, Mm -hmm. I... Never thought I was going to die when I got the first diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 
And so I saw it completely differently than that. I really can honestly say I didn't think I was going to die. And so I didn't see the the miracle or the big deal, really. Mm-hmm. But I'm the patient. So, right. right I yeah. saw it totally differently. Yeah, it, it was interesting that he perceived it that way. But I get it. I mean, as a dad and a husband and three little kids, I mean, you don't, none of the stuff that happened to us, you would anticipate or even feel like you could prepare for. But I do think people can prepare their marriage better for trauma and hard things. Maybe not the specific, right. but I think we just went from one thing to another and didn't heal anything in between. So this hit, um, I think it was really my faith that kept me blinded from the scary mm-hmm. and the worry. So I think that's why I didn't see it that way. I was more emotional about losing my hair, to be honest. Wow. You know, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about his experience in Auschwitz, mm. right? And he said you know, to a certain effect that there are people that survived and thrived. And then there were people that withered away and died. And he determined that the people who were able to thrive in such horrific conditions, they thrived because they were able to find a, a purpose and meaning for their mm-hmm. suffering. Right. And that is what pushed them through. And I was just thinking about that. And I was wondering if, if you guys were able to find a sense of purpose and meaning for all of the struggles you know, and challenges that you went through? For me, it's my wife and kids. Back in 2009, I mean, it was kind of like at, at a wit's end. As I mentioned before, I mean, I kind of like just pushed God away. And if it wasn't for my wife and kids, you know, who knows? Because if I don't have anything else to kind of like really live for, then how many times do you want to like cash out? But it was my wife and my kids who kind of like, you know, pushed me through. That's that's the purpose. That's my purpose. My kids are in this world, you know, not by their choice. You know, they weren't introduced to the world. They, they were born. So it's my responsibility to be there for them. And I want to be there as long as I can, because they're always going to be my two little girls and my little boy, you know? And for me, honestly, I do feel like there's a purpose and a plan for me. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I've survived all of these things. And I'm still figuring that out. It's funny, in 2010, I had a part-time job at a church and I was asked to give a testimony at a recovery ministry. And I don't have a recovery story. Well, I didn't at that time. (laughs) I didn't have an addiction recovery story. And I said to my friend, what am I going to talk about? She said, oh, you have a story. And I thought, I really wish I had one of those cool stories. Wow. You got Be careful one. what you wish for. Right? <laughs> that day I lost my job at the church and it was the only income we had coming in. So, I mean, talk about having a story like on the spot. But I look back at that moment and think, wow, I mean, I, I spoke it into being, I didn't have a story and I really wanted a story. And now I, I struggle with what story should I tell? What is my platform? I don't feel like it's cancer survivors. The homeless We don't look like the typical homeless people, you know, being an intact family, but communicating, being open, encouraging transparency and vulnerability. I think that's so powerful. And I think that is part of my purpose and mission is to to inspire others to just be more open, share with your neighbors, get to know people, talk through what people are struggling with to open up the conversation 
because I'm also a connector and I love sharing resources, but I can't help you until you tell me what your needs are. And sometimes I have to really coach people through sharing their needs. Um, But what a blessing when you get those out and then you go find those people that can meet the needs. So, you know, I know that's my purpose lies somewhere in there in connecting and communicating and meeting needs and sharing stories though. But I think like we all know that, right? There's power in testimony, but to be an example and then, you know, really just also, I think a big thing for us is personal health and achieving health before something happens, living your best life. It sounds cliche, but honestly, I didn't expect a cancer diagnosis at, at 45 years old or my husband would be confronted with being a single dad. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So preparing and really living it up. So I'm not sure yet what the mission or the plan or the purpose is and all of these things, but I do know it's, it's to inspire others perhaps to really take a look at the way they're living. You know, the marriage piece is interesting though. That's still a piece we haven't quite figured out. So we're still here. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? How about that? The, the hard part about, working on a marriage is when you have the disconnect within yourself with your head and your heart, you can't possibly share that, you know, and that's when we start working with people, that's what we do as individuals. We help them become whole and healthy so that they can then show up in a relationship like that. Cause if the break is, is inside of you and you're not communicating with yourself, you certainly can't communicate with your partner. And you guys have a lot of things that you've been through that you probably haven't had space and time and, another set of eyes to look at. So you can, I always call it the fertilizer of your life because we know what fertilizer is made of. (laughs) And you guys haven't had that, that ability to have that growth spurt yet. Absolutely. We started on it. I think a big awakening for me personally and Henry was a year after the cancer. I started healing physically. I stumbled on a, on a tool, a supplement And as silly as it sounds, it completely changed my life. I started to get my physical health back. And that's all I did. And I just let that ride. And wow, it has opened my eyes. Talk about the stress factor. I learned to recognize that stress probably contributed to my illness. And I made it no longer an option. I made it non-negotiable to eliminate stress from my life and prioritize my health over everything. Because if I can't show up or be healthy and whole, I I can't serve my family or my husband. So that's been the last four years working on just from the inside out kind of health. And that has been quite a game changer. So I think we're ready for the next level. And did you join her in that process? The physical healing? The physical healing? You know what? I've always been into health and I've always played basketball, went running and all of those different things. So I think for her, it's more of a introduction to it. But for me, as I mentioned before, what it does is it just kind of like enhances the performance a little bit. So, but yes, yes, I have. And you know, we're, I still eat at McDonald's. <laughs> I still go to Portillo's and things like we that. We still have fun. <laughs> yeah. So, and pizza and things. But it, again, it's kind of like in, in moderate, well, I shouldn't even say in moderation because one day we eat pizza, the next day it's McDonald's and stuff like well, that. Well, it's a requirement to eat Chicago pizza. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right, absolutely. <laughs> so, but you know, it's, we look at things differently. We really do. I mean, so for me, I love having like uh, our kids on our bed 
And just kind of like, you know, uh, when we watch a movie or something like that, my leg or their leg will be like over my legs and I'll be touching them and grabbing them and hugging them and all of those different things. And, and for Yvonne, it's, it's a little different. She likes having her space and things. And I mean, one thing that we kind of like came up is <laughs> she was talking to a group of her girlfriends and things, and they were talking about kids when they go away to college. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so sad and all of that stuff. And she's actually like excited and waiting for that day, you know, for them to leave the house. Mm -hmm. That's and a great day. Just yeah. so you know. <laughs> I thought we finally get to, we better start reconnecting now. So we're prepared for that. Right? But, what she, but what she told her friends was the one who's going to cry is my husband, you know? So I, I think our nationalities come into play. I mean, Spanish, we're very huggy, touchy, feely, you know? So. Yeah, upbringing is a big deal. Absolutely. Today's actually our oldest son's birthday. So yeah. 32 years ago, I became a mom today. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But we've been empty nesters for... Four years yeah. now. Yeah. It's lovely. It's I bet. <laughs> and neither of our kids live in the state. So... Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So the... Stuff that you're talking about with your health, is that your business? That is my business. Go ahead and share. Yeah. So I, I was introduced to it four years ago, last month. And through Facebook, ironically, a girlfriend was sharing some free samples of something. And I saw that it was a vitamin. And my husband had been on me for years to jump on board with him and take some vitamins. And they always made me sick. And I didn't see the benefit. And I thought, gee, I'm a year out for my cancer. I'm blessed to be cured. But I was stressed out. I was working nights, drinking a ton of coffee and Diet Coke. I put on some weight from the medication through treatment. And I was like in a low spot, no gym for six or seven years. So I was feeling pretty bad. And my girlfriend's like, you need this so bad. It's going to restore you and rejuvenate you. And I was like, mm, okay. And she sent me two free sample packs. He refused to take it. So thank God, because <laughs> I had eight days in my hands. And, you know, it was the super simple thing and it didn't make me nauseous. So I, I kept going and she kept in touch with me. And, you know, I, she's like, are you noticing anything yet? And I'm like, I'm not even sure, you know, because I was barely waking up at 2.30 to pick up my kids from school. The night shift is rough on mm. the body. Mm -hmm. Okay. Didn't know at the time that was like the worst decision for a cancer survivor to make. <laughs> you know, I was waking up with a splitting headache every day. So a couple of days on this thrive stuff. And uh, my skin started to change. And it's November, it's snowing, it's cold, dry, my skin was very damaged from radiation. I said, geez, Beth, my, my skin's starting to glow. She said, you are thriving, it is repairing and restoring you from the inside. And I was like, this is a crock of baloney. <laughs> and uh, but I kept going. And day seven, I woke up for the first time without that splitting headache and without the brain fog. And I actually had a little bit of joy in my heart instead of anger and fatigue and pain. And I went to get my kids and I couldn't wait to get them in my car. And normally I couldn't wait to get them out of my car. And I was so resentful. It's interesting you bring that up, Jean, about having survived all these things and then being so miserable with my life. So I'm sorry, I get a little emotional when I think about this. That day was a game changer for me because... I had light back in my eyes. I had joy back in my heart. And I've always been this positive person. And I felt like somewhere along the way, I really allowed myself to get lost in the struggle. And that day, I just felt hope. 
And I looked back on the previous few days and knew I had been feeling better every day. And I said, you know what, talk to me, let's, let's see what happens here. And I placed an order, she talked me into the business side. And I was like, Oh, girl, I work with 12 crabby people on the night shift. I don't have any friends. I don't even go to church anymore. My life had gotten that bad. And she said, just wait, it's free. There's no obligation. I was like, okay, tell me what buttons to push, but we're never doing this. And a couple of people at work couldn't help but notice. I wasn't drinking the coffee. After four days on this stuff, this Thrive thing, I uh, no longer was drinking coffee or Diet Coke. And it has been four years. I've been caffeine free. Wow. Amazing. When I tell you amazing. And it was so simple. It was these two little capsules and a little shake and a little patch that you stick on. I mean, how crazy is that? But I started doing the business. People started noticing jumping on board. Talk about blessings. About 11 months after I started, I earned a car bonus. A car bonus. Now in 2011, we were 2009, actually, we got here. We were carless. We had to borrow a work van from a childhood friend. Wow. And when we got into that housing program in 2011, we were carless again. That car broke down, our replacement car, and we got a donated car. So what a huge thing for me three years ago to earn a car bonus. So what did I do? I traded in that minivan as soon as our spring break road trip was done and I got a Lexus. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, the rest is kind of history. I transitioned out of corporate America and into doing this full time. We just earned our eighth all-inclusive getaway trip. Henry's been on two of them with me. So we're going to Mexico in nice. February. Yeah, we're we're working on getting him a car now too. So it's become a thing. But what I love the most is that I get to help other people feel better and live it up. As a survivor, I feel like this is really part of that purpose, plan, yeah, mission sure. thing that I get to intersect people's lives before things happen or after or during and say, you know what? It isn't worth it. Like start living now and feeling your best. Sure. And, you know, it's just, it's been one blessing after another. Sounds like not just physically, but also emotionally. 100%. -hmm. The people, so I have a very small family. My parents are gone. So, and I love community. And I grew up adopted. I, I, my parents' friends were our family. So this has introduced me to a whole nother family. I've started doing things. I never finished that college degree, by the way. But I don't need that college degree. Let me tell you, the (laughs) personal development that my mind has been open to and I've engaged in is far and away, I mean, equally as impressive as the physical health is that sort of mental piece and realizing my worth. I got coaching for the first time. I invested in a, you know, what people would consider very expensive coaching, but there's such value in, in investing in yourself and realizing you're worth it. It's completely changed everything. So yes, so much. Still on the journey, though. <laughs> a lot of lot of work to do yet. But if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Well, they can reach out to me. Facebook is my friend. You can look me up as the Naperville Thrive Lady or Yvonne Heller, H E L L E R. Um, you can call or text me six three zero six zero five zero zero four three. How do you spell your first name? Ooh, that's a good one. Y-V-O-N-N-E. Maybe Naperville Thrive Lady is easier. (laughs) And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Right. Yeah, I'll give you my website. That's really where you can catch a glimpse at what this, this thing is. Great. Cool. Last question. What is it that your partner does that you know they love you? That's a tough one. Henry loves to 
just do things for me. So it's usually, uh, there's a lot of food things where he'll like cook me a special meal. That's a great question. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. That's just where you guys are at right now. Yeah. 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 I think we've suffered a lot of trauma, haven't done a lot of healing, been in survival mode and maybe never really learned. And, And we've talked about this when I started sort of having this awakening. I was like, what do you even like? What are you passionate about? I asked them really awkward questions that were almost embarrassing. Being married so long, like how embarrassing that I don't know, besides our children, what he really likes. What are you passionate about? What do you get excited about? And those were some hard conversations that I don't think we ever really finished. You know, it's very interesting. We were talking to someone yesterday and, you know, he's an entrepreneur. And, you know, I asked him, do you have a mission, vision and values for your business? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I said, but do you have a mission, vision and values for your relationship and your marriage? No. And, and this is what most couples don't know is that, you know, we we put a lot of effort into our careers and our business and we're constantly revamping and, you know, reinventing ourselves there. But we don't really do that with our marriage. Right. And that is the most important relationship we will ever have with another human being. And, you know, that it's just a matter of becoming more aware and putting that time and, and energy investment into it. I think I'm the polar opposite. Because what I do is I try to put more attention and do things and participate more with the family than I do my business. Mm -hmm. I try to attend every single activity my kids are participating in, you know, and just really encourage them, help them with their homework, be a participant in in communicating with their teachers. Now, granted, they're eighth, ninth and 10th grade. And, and, you know, we, we also have like differing opinions. You know, I feel it's necessary to communicate with the teachers, let them know that, you know, we're, as a team, we're going to help them maneuver through school. She's got a totally different perspective. It's kind of like, okay, they're old enough. They need to do this on their own and and things. And don't get me wrong. She's a very supportive mother, but again, it's just our ideology is totally different. Our perspectives are, are totally different. As it should be. Right. I mean, couples are going to have different perspectives and it's coming together and finding that balance point, you know, which we're all challenged with. Well, Yvonne and Henry, we want to thank you so much for being on Couple Synergy today. This has been quite a treat. You know, people have been sharing their stories since the beginning of time to grow and heal and bond. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Yeah, Thank you so much for uh, inviting us. I didn't know what to expect, but it was pretty pleasant. Yes, and I'm excited about that couples retreat. Yeah. For all of you listening out there, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a review. If you have any questions, comments, topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, Please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed 
by Gina Gonzalez.